welcome to the Gatecast and our journey through the Stargate, through SG-1, Atlantis and Stargate Universe. Destiny. The design is clearly ancient, launched hundreds of thousands of years ago. We are on a ship, but we have no idea where we are in relation to Earth. These are the wrong people in the wrong place. Sure, Tim. Why'd you do that? He told me to. I have a gun. What happened? Greer. Greer shot him. Each week, Alan and Mike will be following the adventures of the crew of the Destiny, along with one or two guest hosts. Join us for everything that is Stargate Universe. Greetings. I wanted to put this little bit of feedback right at the beginning of the show so not to lose it in the mix. I was delighted to get an email from former guest Dan, who we haven't been in touch with over Twitter for a while, thanks to the demands of real life. And we all understand that. So Dan wrote, Hello Alan, Mike and Gatecast listeners. I want to congratulate Mike and Alan on their accomplishments in the realm of podcasting. They did an unprecedented thing for us all to enjoy. They followed through on a project that covered the greatest series to ever be shown on TV. I can't properly say how much I have loved being on board with you all. The closing of the Gatecast is saddening for me as Gauntlet was. Thank you for giving us the podcast and thank you for having me participate. Live long and podcast, Dan LaRock. Well, thank you, Dan, for guesting on the show with us and for the support, especially on Twitter. A very pleasant surprise to get this email this morning and rewarding to know others have enjoyed the Stargate journey. Over on Facebook, we also got a couple of posts from last week's Stargate Universe finale gauntlet. Holly posted, I miss these people more than I can express, left floating out in the universe. I replied that, well, you have to inject some hope and a desire that, story-wise, Eli's mother remains in good health, long enough to see her son once again. Our thanks to Holly for, yet again, never-ending support on Twitter, and of course for the Wormhole Riders website and social media portals. Brad also posted... Timing and a very busy schedule prevented him from contributing directly to this week's wrap-up show, but as always, he came through. Great job, guys. It was an interesting show to go out on. Eli's smile at the end has been the centre of many fan arguments over the years. Is he happy because of what he's seen and done? Has he just worked out a way to fix a pod? Or has he found the best way to end it all? The series has been up and down, but I feel mainly up. And this ending, whether they knew it or not, is the best of the Stargate franchise, in my opinion. I replied that you can read pretty much anything you want into that enigmatic smile, but I want to go for a simple delight he is experiencing, not with the circumstances of his plight, but the simple fact of where he is now. And totally agree, for a series finale that was not planned, but obviously tweaked, it was spectacular. I cannot express my thanks to Brad for all the time and effort he put into joining us on the podcast, and supporting us with feedback and social media interactions, above and beyond. In that respect, our thanks goes to the hundreds of people that are part of the Facebook group and are in the Google Plus circle for the podcast, and the thousands who follow us on Twitter and provide us so great a Stargate experience, which covers all aspects and expressions of the show. I would like to name so many people who have supported us, and there are some that are very deserving, but in practice I'll probably lose my voice after the first hundred or so. So getting down to the cornerstones, we want to personally thank everyone that joined us on the podcast, and if I've missed anyone, let me know. Our heartfelt thanks, in no particular order, go to Tim, Christina, Stephen, Steve, Adam, Brad, Thomas, Adriana, Mr, Scott, Dan, Ian, Jacob, Daniel, David, Miles, Andrew, Michael, Jeff, Matthew, Shane, Philip and Dave. 
Before I forget, a special thanks to Vladimir at AtlantisTV.ru for his continued support of the podcast and his dedication to Stargate in general. It's been an interesting journey which began on the Sci-Fi Dig forums all those years ago. Thank you for joining us and let's get the show going. Greetings everybody to the very last episode of the Gatecast. On this show we're going to take a quick look back at Stargate Universe, two seasons, 40 episodes. Unlike previous series wrap-up shows or season wrap-ups, we're not going to go through each episode in detail, mainly because even with the two seasons, it's going to take us way too long. We do have a few set questions we can ask, see how it goes. I'm pretty sure we'll end up talking about anything and everything Stargate Universe. Currently, we are joined by Thomas. Good evening, Thomas. Hello. In due course, Ian and Stephen should be joining us. This moment, they are not online. We'll see how it all pans out. Another reason for not going too structured. We don't want to be repeating everything when somebody pops oh, in. there's Ian. Just as you said, pops in. Ian popped up. Well, if he's anything like you, he'll be making a cup of tea and having a bite to eat. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't have tea after seven. Any seven. But I had sort of semi-prepared for the... Have you seen the list of questions, Thomas? Yes. Ah. I have some of them filled out. Some of them I'm still... Tossing around as to who I should pick as my like most disliked character, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> oh, I have an idea for most disliked. I would kindly request, as a favor, that I go for fa- I go with favorite character before anyone else. Okay, like I say, people are going to be joining us throughout the evening, and Ian says he may have to leave a bit early. Notice mm-hmm. when you are ready, and we can add you. He just replied, "Awesome," which is neither yes or no. <laughs> Okay then, let's get this started. Alan, when Stargate Universe was originally announced and launched, what did you think of it? Were you happy to see Atlantis finish and Universe take its place? Then you see, that's a loaded question. Can't I be not one and yet the other? Of course you can. I was not happy to see Atlantis finish. I felt the end was a bit sort of, oh, we got to wrap this kitty up. I, I'll admit, season five felt a bit directionless at times, but that's Atlantis. My initial thoughts, I will admit, on Universe were they've looked at BSG and decided to do it Stargate. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think I wasn't alone in that. And the other thought I thought was, dear God, Richard Dean Anderson's put a lot weight on. <laughs> I just thought he is the proverbial overweight cat. I suppose senior general and spends more time, as he said delightedly in one episode of SG-1, I'm going to sample items from the buffet. I think he spent more time in meetings and sitting around conference tables and drinking complimentary coffee and tea and biscuits than he did running around shooting at bad guys. Yes, or, or getting shot at. Yeah, getting shot at is a wonderful way. Of... Makes you appreciate the finer things in life when people aren't actually shooting you. <laughs> Indeed. Now, what about you, Thomas? Did you jump in straight away or did you wait? I watched a little bit of it when I could. I didn't get to see all of it. Like Alan... The ending of Atlantis was very rushed, and I wish it would have ended a little more naturally, sort of like SG-1 did. I didn't care for a lot of the darker tone of the first season. You know, it is very, as Alan said, BSG-like. You know, it's a soap opera, each week led into the next week. But I did find that later on in the season, then starting in season two, it did get better, and it felt more, more like Stargate, like I wanted Actually, I didn't get to watch the latter half of season two until year two 
three after the series ended. Not that long. Yeah, I had to wait for uh, to get it on DVD, and then I finally finished it up because I missed it on airing on TV. Right. Disappointed Atlantis finished, but I was willing to jump on board the, the new uh, series in the franchise without too many issues. As you say, the Atlantis finale just felt wrong. I understand why a lot of people had ill will towards Universe. Sci-Fi didn't really handle the transition very well. Mm-hmm. As Alan says, the early universe, very BSG-like, no no ifs or buts about it. Again, I had no real problems with that because I thought Battlestar was perhaps one of the best science fiction television series ever made. So, jump straight in. It was slow going the first half season, no question. They made you work to enjoy it. I had the same feeling as watching the first season of The Expanse as well. You had to commit to it. You couldn't just you know dip your toe in and decide whether you liked it or not. You had to really embrace all the characters all the storylines even when they were very very downbeat you went well where's the humor stargate is a light-hearted show <laughs> universe <laughs> isn't yeah it's not by any mean right ian says he's okay i'll add him now hello all right ian we are recording excellent i am also recording you know we are literally in the middle of a recording oh <laughs> we started without you ah okay carry on you're straight in then. When the universe first started, initial thoughts? Different. <laughs> yeah. Initial thoughts were, oh, this isn't really Stargate. Yeah. Excited for a new series. That was great. But yeah, I think I joined the rest of, or the majority of Stargate fans when I thought, oh, this is a bit of a bit detraction from the formula. <laughs> Changed my mind as we went through. Did you watch it first run? Yeah. Ah, good. Yeah, yeah. When it came out on Sky, <laughs> I was straight on it. <laughs> It was disappointing to see the ratings decline every week. Yeah. No, I stuck with it. I watched every episode, but it grew on me. Yeah. Right then. Just to bring you up to speed, Stephen should be joining us hopefully at some point. Excellent. A lot more freeform. <laughs> this is going to be weird. <laughs> Maybe, yes. <laughs> we'll kick off, though. Let's see. Where shall we go? We had a favourite episode poll. It wasn't something I was planning to do. I hadn't really given it much thought, but I thought, oh, what the hell? So I threw one up on Paul Daddy, started tweeting it about. Uh, we got a, a decent amount of response, nothing fantastic, but I, we have definitely got a top ten. Uh, I don't think I've voted in every poll. I'm pretty sure you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> that was your opportunity to provide unrivaled support. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, why should I? What should I expect? Not much has changed since 2012. Quite right. Bookend it well. I book it. I did. I recorded a. I recorded this or a version of this with Scott on Saturday. Really? Scott recorded the first podcast with me, so. That's so and, the, and the second one, and I think yeah. we kind of started on the third, and then we did nothing for a year and a quarter. <laughs> yeah, there were. So Mike is going to interject his comments throughout. It has yet to be decided. <laughs> <laughs> what were the favorite episodes? Let's leave that till the end. We'll have a prize draw and stuff. No prize draw for this one. I told you I hadn't given this any thought. Ah, okay, fair <laughs> it would just It would just slung up. Well, I'm sure you can fix that in post. <laughs> surprise prize draw. A surprise, surprise. Yeah, very definite surprise draw. <laughs> oh, look, I've won. <laughs> <laughs> Great, at least you won't have to pay postage. <laughs> okay, then. What did you want to do? Go first, Alan? Oh, not the first question. The favourite character question. Go on, then. We'll start with that. What's your favourite character? Need you even ask? I think most people can probably guess, which is why I wanted to go first in case someone else picked him. And well, go on, uh, then. it's not Eli. 
who is admittedly our geek POV character, it has to be Rush. <laughs> I absolutely, he's totally true to his own oddly, bizarrely pragmatic, selfish, secret keeping, anti hero self, and a truly brilliant actor, and certainly one of the best things in Once Upon a Time. Watching it again just brought through the life that Robert, I don't think anyone else could have done it as well. I am super impressed with Rush. I'd give an honorable mention to Young, if only because even in two short seasons, he has a visible arc. You know, he goes through the sorts of tortured things you'd expect someone forced into that situation to go through. But yeah, superlative. Rush is just brilliant. Just when you think he's starting to develop some degree of humanity and you get a bit of sympathy for him, he turns around and does the sort of social equivalent of stabbing someone in the back. Or in the case of Simeon, basically. Yeah, well, not so much literal. You gotta say, a stampede of beasts as a weapon is unique. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, as vengeance goes, I'm gonna have you trampled half to death by a horde of rampaging beasts. It's got panache. Clearly a Jumanji fan. Uh, Possibly. I don't know if Jumanji exists in the Stargate universe. (laughs) Of course it does. Happy. Well done. Next. I, I cannot disagree. Rush Rush and Eli were my two favorites. I um I loved how they played off each other and how Eli, especially in the latter half of the second season, began asserting himself. He became more comfortable with who he was, what he could do, and by damn what I want to do, I can do it too. Instead of just taking second fiddle to Rush all the time. But Rush just being the intellectual genius he was and forging ahead when everything seemed lost. I really appreciate both their characters a lot. Okay, Ian. Yeah, um, <laughs> so uh, mine's a little out there. I'm actually going for Morrison. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is he even a regular character? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, this is favorite favorite character. Um, oh, Rush. Uh, yeah. He's brilliant. Robert Carlyle's acting is superb. And the actual character just developed so well. He can't be more abrasive to start with. And then he kind of is still abrasive, but he he opens up to a lot of members of the, the crew. So the episode Human, yeah, that's the first episode where you really get to sort of scratch away the surface of Rush and, and see why he's grouchy and, and see what makes him tick, which is brilliant. I love that episode so much. And then episodes with, with Amanda Perry, when she appears as well, again, you get to see a bit more of Rush's character than than just the, the enthusiastic scientist who's wanting to shut out everybody else because they're a distraction. Yeah, it has to be Rush. But again, Eli was brilliant. I can see Young. Yeah, Young's arc is excellent, but I'm going for Rush. Yeah, it was a stroke of genius to get Robert and Paul Isle on board. No question about that. It gave the production a level of, I won't say, well, yeah, say respectability in the media world. They admitted themselves it opened doors to some actors that they probably wouldn't have got otherwise. It gives a sort of gravitas to the scenes, doesn't he? Yeah. And that was when you got not that many movie actors were taking regular jobs in television. It's changed now, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, get yourself a production credit, get a say in how the series is made or run, and uh, you can see a $200 million box office movie star in a TV series. Times have changed. Mm hmm. Right, I could have easily gone for Rush, I could have easily gone for Eli, I could have easily gone for Greer. Mm. Young, definitely. I like pretty much the entire main cast. Yeah. I eventually, I were umming and in, I've gone for TJ, 
Lieutenant mm. Maura Johansson. I think her story throughout the series has been phenomenal. Elena's acting has been up there with anybody's. And all the while, having her own children, raising her own kids, had a mighty performance on two years of the universe. Can't disagree there. Yeah. You could you could easily have picked any of the eight or nine main characters, and nobody would really argue with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was... I mean, I couldn't imagine. On first watch, I'd probably have said it was Eli, the viewer's character. You know, you're watching Destiny through his eyes, literally, with a kino. Yeah, at least through the kino, yeah. Yeah. He was the character you were supposed to hook onto. It would take a while to get used to the military, the out-and-out scientist. Eli, the fish out of water, he's normally the character that... Yeah, at the risk of getting myself in trouble, I would say certainly some of the girlfriends or partners of guys who wanted to watch the show probably hooked onto Greer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a hunk of beefcake. <laughs> he just got better and better as the season was went along. He did, yeah. His character development was fantastic as well. Yeah. I really disliked him at the, at, at the start. I was He annoyed me. I found him really frustrating. A, a lot of the characters were painted very negatively yeah. at the start. I don't know if that was deliberate to allow for growth you know, as the season went along, or it was just that's how it ended up being. <laughs> Funny, though, now nobody's picked Scott. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. What shall we jump into next? So we'll just keep going with the favorite cast and go to the recurring? Why not? I guess I'll start there. My favorite, I tied it between Brody and Volker. <laughs> I mean, you always see them together, typically. They're always working together. It's just a dynamic duo of of everything. You know, they're fixing the ship constantly. Just, I really enjoyed their additions to the cast. I equate them a lot to, like, uh, Zelinka or Dr. Lee in SJSG1. You know, that feel more like those characters. They're subordinates of Raj, but they are the ones doing all the hard lifting. Mm-hmm. That is a good analogy. Yeah, but Zelink is better. Of course, Zelink has <laughs> got more screen time. Yeah, I'm sure there is a website out there which tells you how much screen time each character got. Probably is. It's mm. not us. Not yet. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Patrick, I'm loving his work. He's turning up everywhere. I've yet to see a character he's played in any series I didn't like. Yeah. Peter Kellerman, stand-up comedian anyway. Such dry humour worked so well on Stargate Universe, especially when bouncing off Volker. Yeah. The 2001 scene and the argument over what the what the music's <laughs> called. And you, think, you think, well, yeah, you could see yourself having that sort of argument. And it, it was the humour that Universe had been missing for most of the first season. Yeah. Really started to blossom in the second. I think that's why the second season, even though the viewers kept going down, I think it was becoming much more what people were used to, but people just stopped watching by that time, so it never picked up. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's next? Can I say Greer? If you want to call him a recurring character, go right ahead. Other than Greer, oh, screw it. Recurring because Guest, I believe, counts as one episode only, and this person appeared in more than one episode, and also was very important to a certain character's development. And unfortunately... Her name escapes me. Eli's girlfriend, the one that was murdered by Simeon. Gin. Gin. Yes, Gin. Only because of a soft spot for redheads. But yeah. (laughs) In fairness, I'll I'll construct an argument. It's more what she did for Eli and how she was used as a foil to develop Eli's character. And indeed gave him, before Gin's death, Eli did not have the confidence to stand up to Rush. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And being exposed to such a tragic thing made him realize that he needs to get off his arse and actually do stuff. Plus, she was a redhead, and I love redheads. <laughs> yeah, Julie McNiven. So, my favorite recurring character, I actually wrote down Kin to start with, and then I deleted it, and I put Volker and Brody. <laughs> so I put down as one character. Yeah, they are gestalt identity. Exactly. But then I thought that was a bit of a cop-out. I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't know whether that counts, and maybe I should put some more thought in. So I went for Varro. Thinking about that, I'm not sure. I put him as a guest character and then realized he was in too many episodes to be on, so I moved him to recurring. He was, I think, partly because of his potential. He could have been a really good member of the crew in season three. Yeah. So I wanted to give him a mention, but well, I don't know. Now I say Volker and Brody are probably the one I'll go with. No, that's okay. I, I, went, I went for Varro. Did you? Yeah. Again, Mike Dope, who loved the actor, seen him in dozens of shows, sometimes just, you know, a guest character, sometimes more regular. Love his work. I thought Varro, as you said, background character when the Lucian Alliance paid Destiny a visit. Yeah. Quickly came to the fore, took a stance based on integrity, not not what was best for him. You know, he should have really sided with uh, Danik and stayed on board. Had a burgeoning relationship with TJ, got his heart broken in epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> Hooked up with James in epilogue, so not too bad. I just thought the character was very different from the usual US military. Yeah. It would have given you that skewed perspective to any situation which the show really would have benefited from. The episode we watched together a little while back, Hunt, where he yeah. uh, slams Greer up against the tree and tells him how it tell him tells him exactly how it is. We've no concern for the fact that he's effectively still a prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Greer's trigger happy. He doesn't care. He just tells him how it is. And if he wants to save his crew member, this is what he needs to do. Like you say, that integrity is there. It's, it's good. My second choice was Gin. Yeah, nice. For a lot of the same reasons that Alan says, she made Eli a much better character. The very simple fact that in the finale, he says to Young, I'm cleverer than Rush, and everybody knows it. He never really was able to voice that, even in secret to himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we done on recurring characters? I think so. Yep. Can I say, as an Easter egg for the final ever episode of the Gatecast, you need to have a complete Indeed count from Teal'c. <laughs> we stopped doing that around mid-season three. I remember. <laughs> now I'm sure there's a YouTube video with clips saying Indeed. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I like, if you're going to bring Teal'c in, I like that episode with him and his Atlantis version. Oh, Ronan. Oh, yeah, Ronan. Yeah, yeah Midway. <laughs> Midway. The fact that he turns around and says, you say that a lot. <laughs> right, let's move on to favourite guests. So one episode, two episodes, something like that. I'll start off with this. Initially, I wanted to go for Ambassador Ovidar, Victor Garber, because he's one of the best actors this franchise has ever seen. And he's only been in one episode. <laughs> Obviously, Legends, but also Alias. I eventually, though, had to go for Commander Kiva, Rona Mitra. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? She was fantastic in The Last Ship, which he starred in the first couple of seasons. Tomb Raider, of course, uh, numerous other action sci-fi feature films. Stunning-looking woman, decent actress, great character, not a soft spot on her. Really made an impact, got to torture Rush stroke Telford with a little prod stick. Great stuff. Oh, dresses in leather a lot, but then so do all the Lucian Alliance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a thing they have. So I also pick Commander Kiva. <laughs> Most of the same reasons you've just said. Fantastic performance. Yeah, looked amazing. She was smart and ruthless. 
and really unpredictable. You just didn't know what she was going to do next. As a character, there was no sort of cliche about it. It was, yeah, the few episodes that she was in were very entertaining. Yeah, there were. Well, there's no Ergo to pick as a favorite. <laughs> he was in more than just one or two episodes, but they were small roles in each episode that he was in, except for the episode Human. And that would have to be Daniel Jackson. I've always loved Daniel. He's one of my favorite characters through the entire Stargate franchise. What he brought to SGU as you know the background and then his interaction with Rush in Human and getting Rush to figure out the Master Code, or at least the key to the Master Code, is very integral, I think. You, you had to have his prodding and his, hey, come on, you know, let's get you into this other mindset, and then we have moved on to the series and made the next leap in where we can go with Destiny. That reminds me a lot of the yeah. episode where Daniel came back to Jack when he was in Ball's prison. It was, mm-hmm. it was that similar sort of thing, keep constantly appearing, nudging someone in the right direction there. He's good at that. Strange you should mention, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> he has few enough scenes that he can count as a guest character because I couldn't think of anyone else. Plus, my personal favourite, him bawling out young. Yep. It's a side of Jack oh, yeah. you don't see. Jack as the leader, and the reason he is actually a general. Mm-hmm. He's basically going like, people died to get you there. Quit whining. Do your fucking job. Well, that's it. Jack knew that Destiny had been taken over by the Lucian Alliance because Young didn't have the bottle to sacrifice a man. Mm-hmm. Somebody he didn't like anyway. <laughs> yeah, Jack was excellent in this, as he is in all of them. Strangely enough, he was missed when they did have... Jack's orders were being handed down by Wolsey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That episode, my God, if they'd thrown Jack in as well, Richard Dean Anderson, I'd have probably died. <laughs> Picardo and Hewlett, Victor Garber, obviously, of course. Another episode that he could have easily fill, uh, filled into was Alliances, whenever, you know, Telford's taken over there trying to get everything sorted out after the scout ship crash. I could easily see Jack in that role. They could have had him in his office. He could have died in that explosion. Yeah. Could have killed off character. That would have been interesting. <laughs> that was the kind of gritty thing they were aiming for with Universe as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mind you, that would have really shook the uh, the fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> the studios would probably have been burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> Mass rioting. Let's go on to something a little bit more... Esoteric? Uh, big word. Can you spell it? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> Best piece of technology on the show. Oh, pick me, pick me. Not the Stargate. <laughs> I'm going to go with, which is Kino. It, pretty much, it yeah. was unique to the series. It was a signature item. They put it to numerous use. But you know what? On second thoughts, no. I'm going with the drones. Yeah, I can see that. Both piece yeah. of technology and protagonist. Incredible piece of technology. Yeah. yeah. Put down the drones as well, I thought. Yeah, genius. <laughs> Yeah, even though they required a command ship to oversee total operations, they could operate independently. They were incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. They kind of mm, uh, dropped the ball a bit when they managed to shoot one down with a, a machine gun. Well, you shot down a, a dart with a machine gun in the season premiere <laughs> or the series premiere of Stargate Atlantis, so... Well, funnily enough, I, I can accept that because I think they always seem to be more fragile. The darts were more fragile. The drones, because they operated in space, took on starship shields. They had energy weapons. The darts did too. They operated in space. Yeah, but they, they required a pilot. Yeah. 
you couldn't leave a door sitting there for a hundred years and it'll come operational and take you on whereas a drone you could i just think they were built tougher so that must surprise me when they managed to finally shoot one down yeah although it was a good scene when they were on that blockade and they had the uh, three assault weapons firing all at the same time and the drone couldn't make up its mind which way to face Mm. Mm -hmm. my choice for favorites or best technology I first said Kino, but then I thought about it, and I actually think the best piece of technology was the Destiny AI. You know, you never actually specifically call it AI, but it's the intelligence that, hey, we need this, let's drop out here. Hey, you know, let's test Rush out and make sure he's really up to this. You know, hey, we need to go to this planet and go to here. You know, the AI that's behind the entire sporadic nature of the Destiny in the first part of the series is... Is incredible. It knows what you need and where we need to go find it. Yeah, they never really came out and said, "Oh, this is artificial intelligence," rather rather than just a very advanced computer. But there were always hints that there was something there making decisions. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it did make some phenomenal decisions based, obviously, on data supplied via the sea chips. But again, the ancients—they built well. They oh yeah, not just physically engineered something. They created computers thinking machines that could operate independently, even sacrifice people when it was required. Looking at Dr. Park being locked in the biodome. Mm-hmm. Not even willing to open the door for five seconds just to let her out. <laughs> Hard line. Yeah. Yeah, that was harsh. The way Eli actually said it about Gin and Amanda, you know, he partitioned the memory, separated it. It was probably impossible to actually get access to him again. If they did, it would just be raw data. It would be no consciousness related to it. But I think they would have tried. They'd have tried to done something. I'm sure yeah. they would have booted it. So um, my best piece of technology I'm going to go for, I put Kino at first because it has so much use it, for storytelling and obviously for like recon stuff. Uh, and the Kino sledge, you got you can't forget that. That's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, you could be specific um, and say the Kino sled as a piece of technology. Well, I considered that, but it, <laughs> I wasn't sure. And then I came up with a better well, one, which was Kino boots. Kino Kino boots. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> The chair, the mm-hmm. uh, mind control brain dump ancient chair thing. I'm sure it has a name, but I've forgotten what it is. The chair. I, th- the I, chair. Think, I yeah. think they're just called the chair. <laughs> yeah, I think I would go for that because, well, it gave us the episode human and it gave us so many other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it shows you where, you know, the Atlantis chair developed from. Mm-hmm. A neural interface. The modern chair doesn't need any probes or anything. You just sit, you put your hands in the little gooey stuff and you're in communion with the main computer of Atlantis. Here, it was a little bit more basic, a little bit more cumbersome. A little more early tech. Oh, yeah. A gel user interface. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the clamps coming on and the little clamps coming on your forehead. Oh, yeah. The mist coming down. Franklin sitting in the chair, then disappearing. Where's he gone? Where's he gone? Yeah, that was a good bit of technology. I think that had a lot of a lot of room for, for more stories as well. Yeah, you'd have thought that eventually they would have tried controlling the destiny directly from somebody in the chair. I think that would have been possible, how they were going with the story and the technology. Mm-hmm. Right, I did have drones. I did have kinos. The kino was a, a fabulous idea, not only for the difference it allowed you to offer the show up to the viewer, you know, looking through the events through a camera lens. It seems more reasonable with the documentary style of universe. I would have gone for Destiny as a whole, but I think I wanted to pin it down even even further to its star drive. 
the ability to re, you know refuel itself in a star's corona i thought that was brilliant science fiction yeah definitely very handy you know when it first appeared they were like okay so we're running out of power we're shutting things down and well here's these three planets so i guess destiny's wanting us to get off little did we know that we're going to fly into the edge of the sun and we're going to refuel yeah yeah brilliant idea obviously the ftl developed over the centuries became much faster more dependable energy sources became easier to build the zpm powered systems of the ancients and yet we never figured out how to build a zpm <laughs> no there's a lab somewhere in atlantis with instructions on how to do it they have to build them there mm-hmm. right then that is technology most disliked character <laughs> easy hold on a sec oh no worries you there steve oh yeah well hey how are you Hello. guys doing okay you're in the middle of the show oh okay <laughs> <laughs> we just keep adding people as, as they come along Best place to be. Indeed. Okay, then. The most disliked character on Stargate Universe. Ian, you were saying? Okay. So, most disliked character, I was... I thought this was easy. I ended up going for my initial choice, but I almost picked Simeon. He was an evil piece of work. <laughs> Didn't dislike him. Though I thought he was evil, he was a really good character. The person I disliked was Morrison. He gave nothing <laughs> to the show. He was just annoying he was the cavernor of stargate universe <laughs> yeah i'd rather have put up with more simeon than than more morrison he did complain a bit he did yet he donned the spacesuit at the end oh. so he must have volunteered he must have been yeah. feeling a little yeah that's true a little upset because james did break his nose <laughs> <laughs> oh that was a beautiful scene <laughs> steve most disliked character dr robert kane he was just annoying <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> very opinionated oh it's just the whole holier than thou sort of thing it's just like come mm-hmm. on give it a rest <laughs> <laughs> well you've got to admire him for his conviction you know he, th- he thought he was right and he was willing to bet his life on it unfortunately he was willing to bet other people's lives on it as well mm-hmm. the thing is i can understand faith of religion that people are sort of i won't say indoctrinated into um brought up into just the fact he had this belief that sort of just like well where did this come from? Why is this so... Uh, it's just like, yeah, sorry. Just like, so annoying. They could have done something else with a different type of character. But for me, that was the most disliked character of everyone there. I know there were sort of really nasty characters in there, but a good TV programme will always have nasty characters like that playoff because no one's ever perfect or anything else like that. But yeah, for him, could have done without. I'd agree with you right up to the end where when he faces the fact that i'm already dead you know this isn't me you know i've moved on i think that was probably one of the best scenes of the show just him and tj sitting there and it gave us the all the scenes with rush and him bouncing off each other (laughs) yeah which was good conflict within your characters that's what you want yeah it makes for good television right mine now the only reason i picked this character is because i never liked him on first watch the second watch he has gone up immensely in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Spencer. Mm-hmm. I probably didn't catch all the nuances first time around. Sitting down, watching each episode multiple times, watching his breakdown over the 10 episodes or so. Yeah. He was a perfect example of how a lot of people would react. And the fact that he was on medication prior to going to Destiny as well. 
everything falls into place and first watch i was thinking oh thank god he's gone you know in you know the truth of his suicide came out now i just feel sorry for the character but i'm sticking with it because the first watch i really disliked him forgotten about sergeant spencer yeah yeah he was annoying <laughs> yeah yeah but like you say there's so many bad evil characters characters you weren't meant to like mm-hmm. but you admire the performances so he it was much easier in SG-1 and Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a great, great character. But for me, he sort of showed another side of individuals in a high-stress situation that you wouldn't normally see in TV. With Atlantis, it, they did sort of touch upon it a little bit because you'd got like um, people who actually did see a psychiatrist who was actually stationed in Atlantis. But it never really went into sort of the dark depths of someone who really felt down and just sort of being so far away with no hope of getting back. Most of the people of Atlantis, they're all sort of all happy to be here. What I loved about Universe was the fact that they sort of turned that around and they actually had characters that they struggled with it, like a lot of people probably would. And seeing people day in, day out that you don't know, that in some cases you probably don't like either, where you've got lack of food, lack of oxygen, sort of high stress all the way through, you would have at least one or a few people who would really suffer, would get very depressed. I thought it was fantastic that they actually included a character like this. It made it more real. It's one of the things that I really loved about Stargate Universe. I know a lot of people disliked it because of the darker side and a lot of people, they didn't like it because it wasn't as happy and action-packed as Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis was. But for me, it was like Stargate growing up. It made it more now, more realistic. People could identify with more. Yeah. My turn? Yeah. Thank you. Easy one. I had been thinking... And like yourself, I was going to go for Simeon. But that was purely because he killed Gin. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't hear the same reason enough. I just want to see more of Gin in every possible expression of the word more. Seconded. I'm going with Telford. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Selfish, quite willing to kill everyone, purely in pursuit of it. At least Rush's agenda was entertaining, and it wasn't quite the bloody sociopath that Telford was. Yeah. Didn't Telford kill future Rush? No, Future Rush killed Telford. Oh, ah, same diff. <laughs> um, yeah, Telford was just petty and small-minded and stuff, and the traitor, of course. Young, yeah. Young forgives him. We've had this argument before. When you get blackmailed and brainwashed, there's only so much responsibility you can take on yourself. Really taken up. Yeah. I didn't like... I mean, Telford wasn't even a good file for Young Rush. was a far better one. When Telford walked in on Young's wife, uh, come on, Udingo, you bastard. Yeah. yeah. He he was... How familiar are you a lot with the B5 episode, Eyes? Um, I've only just started watching Babylon 5. I've just finished watching season two. It's the general in the episode that comes along with the telepath and is basically complaining about the fact that he's got a scar on his face. And he complains about the fact that Sinclair got picked over him. Oh, yeah, I remember the guy. Yeah, that's yeah. basically... Telford is that character if he appeared mm-hmm. in five or six episodes. Well, sort of. That guy came in, but he was there for revenge because he got sent by his general mate. Telford's whole agenda was 
this command was mine and you got lucky to get it and I'm going to take it off you. Even if it means, as apparently it did, either blowing up another planet or taking control of someone's body. Yeah. Probably Young from Telford's perspective. Telford definitely contributed to the breakup of Young's marriage. It's a horrible person. Telford is who I went with also. He, there, he has his redeeming moments, you know, coming to save the day with the... Uh, or the sea ship, you know, and the few times he actually really worked with the crew to get things up. He was always there trying to assert himself as the one in command, always trying to, you know, be the the one that's doing everything and not, well, this is Young's mission, so let's do it. Young says, well, here's what I think we should do and let's do, let's do this. I think with Telford, I think it was more to do the fact he was just pissed because it was supposed to be his assignment. Things went sideways through protecting everyone or trying to protect as many as possible on the base. He couldn't go with. So he was expecting this command. He was a much better character once he was actually on the destiny. And even sort of afterwards when they met back up later on with the aliens. He was much better and especially his relationship with Young was a lot better. But I think, yeah, to begin with, he was just pissed and he was looking for any reason to try and get Young out of command and whether or not it was he was angling at that time to make it that Young was not fit to command. So using the stones, he would command through Young or something like that is how I sort of took how things went, especially in that first season. Yeah. Not much love for Telford, is there? Yeah. <laughs> he was a conflicted character. There were times when you cheered him on, you know, when he stayed behind on the ship. That was bravery, you know, that was courage. That was probably giving up everything he did want. As it turned out, he, he came back in the nick of time and had a little tale to tell. But you've got to make allowances for the fact that a lot of what he did was under the influence. Or perhaps you don't have to make allowances. <laughs> I, I don't think the brainwashing excuses sleeping with Young's wife. Because he could have just been trying to get information on Young about, in a way to create a case to lose his command. Because Telford was wanting to get command of the ship. And especially as he was also mind controlled, basically. He was looking at any angle to get that command. So he would have been trying to speak to Young's wife, try and find out if he's actually stable enough to be in command. Because if not, then if he got told, sorry, you're using the stones, you'll be situated here on Earth, and Telford, through your body, will command the destiny. And I think that's what the aim was. Yeah, it gets complicated when you start factoring in the communication stones mm -hmm. as well. <laughs> as well as brainwashing. <laughs> yep. Right then, while we're all here, shall we jump on to the favourite episode segment of the show? Yeah, let's do that. I may have to bail in about 20 minutes. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Get this done while we're all here. Now, shall we just announce our favourite episodes and we can have a quick discussion about them and then we can go through the poll? Who's first? Come on, somebody. Steve's going to go first, I think. Okay. Go on then, Steve. For me, my favourite was Time, which was season one, episode eight. Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah mine it's a toss-up for me but i would say probably either twin destinies or trial and error i i really liked how those two episodes played yeah it's a good decision i'm gonna go 
I'm tempted to go with Epilogue because I didn't get to rewatch everything and I'm really bad at remembering the episode names. So Mike's going to have to help me out. I'm going because I just love alternates. So I'm going to go with the one, and it's actually my favorite Scott episode as well, the one where he gets infected with the alien plant thing. Oh, Cloverdale. Oh. Yeah, I like Cloverdale. It's almost better than the movie. Oh, <laughs> everything's better than the movie. <laughs> yeah, and I'll wait for time as well. I went for light purely because it's the episode where we get to see Destiny do its thing. Yeah. As we discussed earlier on, there were, there were a lot of good bits in that episode. Honorable mention for air, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Going back and rewatching those first, you know, first half of the first season, they, they're a lot better once you've seen the bigger picture of what happens. Serialized show, you really want to watch an episode after episode after episode. And first half season of Universe, slow paced, made you work at it. You can understand why people, weeks gone by, oh, it's, it's Friday night, oh, I can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. If those episodes had been the full part one, two, three episodes, it would have been a lot better, I think. Well, yeah, you could have, like BSG, launched that as a, you know, a little mini series to kick off. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, there's a whole lot of things that didn't help Universe at the beginning. One was the fact there's a lot of Atlantis fans that blamed Universe for being cancelled. There was the fact that sci-fi kept changing the time it was on, given the fact that, especially now, you would often get this sort of thing delivered on a streaming platform as an entire series, and it would be a really good thing to just watch on demand. But of course, back when this was released, there wasn't really much of that at all. Yeah, that's definitely the problem, isn't it? I mean, you can binge through these really easily. In fact, maybe they were ahead of their time with the style of writing. You're not ending every episode on a cliffhanger and desperate to see next week the same as you are with some others. Yeah. I wish Netflix or somebody would pick up the Stargate franchise and relaunch into the new new season or even a, a new series in, in the um, franchise. It, it would be well worth it. Yeah, and the good thing about Stargate Universe, where it left off, it has a perfect way to start back up. Although it's been off the air now for how many years is it? Three, four years? No, it must be more than that, actually. No, it's more than that. Yeah, yeah. more than that. About 2011. Yeah, yeah, six. Wow. They can easily do it that Eli managed to sort the problem out and it caused them to fall short, but it meant that a few more years they were in these pods so when things do happen and they come back out you've then got this gap which is very easily explained and explains changes in all sorts of things sure they can do some sort of thing to explain people's changes in sort of body and things like that well, we always have possibility of bringing more people from earth you know so there's changing oh, no, cast no, there not even that what you have is the pod fails while somebody is frozen. Destiny mm-hmm. realizes and manages because there's different failures. Destiny, as a backup, stores their personalities and their memories in its own memory. There's some corruption there. So basically, you get people with body swaps. <laughs> so if you don't have the original actors, you know, Young is suddenly a completely different actor in a different body. You have the same characters, but... But where would the bodies come from? And people swap about. Well, obviously, the original bodies die and there's some corruption in the storage as well. (laughs) 
Joseph Malozzi's uh, blog actually has a, quite a few plot ideas for what could have been on season three, and it's definitely worth going and having a read if you've not done it already. Well, yeah, because they could do so many things from, I don't know, Eli actually sitting in the chair and having his memory uploaded, but then, of course, then what happens to his body? There could be a whole heap of things that they could do oh. with what we know just so far from the first two series. Yeah. yeah. Emergency command program. <laughs> Eli hologram. <laughs> that would work. You can still have a re- be a regular, but a hologram. Mm. <laughs> you know, be the Franklin, be the Gin or Amanda of the of the ship. Yeah, could, that could probably work. I have ECH. I have been cheeky on the Gatecast Twitter feed. Yes, I noticed. Nobody else seemed to. Have you sent a tweet, Alan? I sent a tweet as Gatecast. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Ask me what the password was. <laughs> yeah, that, that was three. Da- that was three days ago. I was going to say, Mike, you let him actually <laughs> have access. <laughs> <laughs> I set that bloody speed up. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mike, Mike just maintains it. Yeah, 20,600 posts. How many are yours? <laughs> Probably about five. <laughs> Actually, I, I did post as it a while back. I tweeted more as it when I was a student here. The, the funniest thing is whenever I get a DM, I just assume it's Mike. Yeah. Hello, hi, Mike. How's it going? It's not a DM. It's a cat countdown timer. Yeah, I do like that. It's good. Yes. Right then, Alan. Cloverdale, why did you enjoy it so much? I like alternates. I like seeing characters we've grown used to placed into situations that aren't what we consider normal. One of my favourite short-run trade paperbacks is Marvel 1602 by Gaiman. Superman, Red Sun. It's just, it's a theme that I've always enjoyed. I like to see it turning things on its head. Well, it did include the the wedding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not the only wedding in the show. Funny enough, the other wedding also included uh, Chloe and Scott. <laughs> it was seen, though, where Elise looked absolutely stunning as she walked down the aisle, surrounded by the, the Destiny's crew in their various guises, Rush as the uh, minister. I was half <laughs> wondering if you were going to say she looked absolutely stunning when she turned round and was half alien. <laughs> I thought, are you going to give us that sort of twist? <laughs> <laughs> It was a weak episode for Stargate Universe, but I've seen far worse on other shows. Similar to what Alan says, I like it when they mix things up. It may not always work. The the B-plot of the giant Triffid-like uh, creatures, plants, that really didn't work at all. But the actual Cloverdale bit, I thought it did. The thing is, it was a different way to lighten the series. Because for the most part, a lot of Stargate Universe was dark, was really sort of down in sort of the mood. With Cloverdale, there's a lot more fun. There's a bit of intrigue. And it also opens things up about, in a really different way, about how far her manipulation has gone with her biology. And it was actually quite refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to see the MGM line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention, you got to see Scott being hit by a car. That was quite funny. Yes. (laughs) You really don't like Scott, do you? Oh, no, I do, I do, but it's still just funny the way he just sort of gets up going, I'm okay. (laughs) Right, Cloverdale got two votes in the poll. Now, what was yours, Ian? Uh, Mine was light. Seeing seeing Destiny's engines, like not knowing what Destiny is going to do, and you've been in the series for four episodes, light is episode five, so you've been introduced to everybody, you know what's happening, you know that things are bad, and they've just managed to get their water, they've just managed to get their air, and so on. And then the ship decides it's going to fly them into a sun. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. 
lot of suspense about you know what the hell's up, what's going yeah. on, mm-hmm. and then and then that that moment when it deploys the solar collector things, and you realise that it's recharging the ship. That is just brilliant. Well played. Especially the visuals as well as it does the breaking around the planet and things like that. Yeah. Well, the combination, you had the high energy visuals, you know, as you say, Destiny hit it in the stars atmosphere. But then you also got a nice, just very, very delicate, subtle CGI work with Eli, was it Camille? Or was it Chloe? Sitting in the observation deck. Yeah, it was It was Eli, wasn't it? I believe so. It was Eli. I can't remember who it was with. It was with somebody. I think it might have been... Probably Chloe. No, because wasn't <laughs> Chloe with Scott, because didn't they end up... Oh, on the show. Oh, yeah, then. you're right. Yeah, they had the lottery, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, what a great episode. Yeah, that was my hands down. There were so many brilliant episodes. Human, uh, as I mentioned already, there were a few others, but Light, I think, was the one I kept coming back to. Yeah, I paired that with Dot and Sunlight. They were a two-parter. Mm-hmm. That got six votes. Nice. Thomas. Yes, sir. Which was yours? Twin Destinies or Trial and Error. Trial and Error, just seeing Young having to figure out what I need to do and what he needs to do, and every time it invariably ends up badly it developed his character a whole lot and it got him from his indecisive into okay i really can do this and leave this and you know it you know, helped to prove that he he is the commander here uh, even though there may have also been some manipulation by rush on the back end yeah that was annoying that was i'd, I'd rather have believed it was destiny making the decision yeah and then twin destinies i like the ability of the time travel and it being weird and it sets up some great things at the end of the season you know with the the crew hey and hey we've got a way to resupply the ship with some of the parts we badly need yeah they kind of pulled it out of the bag but it worked so well and not only that first time around that was it i didn't expect to get any continuation of that storyline yeah when you got the payoff a few episodes later, you just sat there going, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the pun. Oh, okay. yeah. Twin Destinies. Yeah, yeah I can see that. <laughs> going for the redneck approach. I like the pun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Trial and Error got five votes and Twin Destinies got nine. Yeah. Did it win? Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Steve, time. You and me. Yeah. Time... There's so many time travel episodes that you get in science fiction, sort of whether it's Stargate, Star Trek. It's all very obvious for the most part what's going to happen. But the way this one was done was just absolutely brilliant. It was just so different, not to mention just sort of you'd got like callbacks to the way that Alien and things like that, sort of some classic sci-fi stuff. Just so many little things that were just great with it. Yeah, when you pick up a skull from the brush. Okay, this is what this episode is going to be like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Rush's own skull as well. Yeah, it was his own skull. <laughs> and also, just like when they picked up the keynote and they're actually watching themselves and <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> so good. It was a fantastic episode. Concept-wise, it was brilliant. Execution, it was brilliant. I mean, they were filming on stage, so it was, you know, fake night looked a huge area they were working in though mm. this little monsters that were hit your chest and dig the way through and burst out your back or vice versa yeah chloe just falling down a flat thump with a camera thing burst out of her you go oh this is <laughs> this is nasty this is it, it had a bit of everything yeah i'm sensing i missed that <laughs> well dig it out and watch it then 
Essentially, I didn't. I wasn't able to record for whatever reason. I would remember things borrowing out of people. That, <laughs> that would have, that would have stuck in my mind. I heard you saying that. I'm like, what? What the hell is he on about? Yeah, and they made you think as well. It wasn't just one timeline. They did it again. And... Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> what I think it ended up with four reruns in total. Uh, something like that. And the way that it also didn't fully resolve it either. You knew what was happening and what would have gone on. Yeah, it's just the fact it was open-ended, so you knew it was fixed, but you just never saw it as well. That was completely different. The whole way that they did this entire episode, just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right, time. That got five votes. Right then, the top ten, as voted for in the Gatecast Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus feeds. Favourite episode was Gauntlet with 10 votes. That was almost my favourite. Joint second, Twin Destinies and A, parts 1, 2 and 3, which I just called one episode. Next up was Common Descent and Epilogue, then Incursion, Intervention, Darkness and Light, and Joint 7, 8, 9 and 10, Time, Human, Trial and Error and Blockade. Nice. Nice mix. Mm-hmm. Some from the first season, some from the second I'd say A1, 2 and 3 got 9 votes, so even though many people think it may not have been a great introduction to the show, a lot of people like it. As I said, watching it first time through when you're having to wait each week versus being able to go back later and watch them all together, it makes a huge difference. It does. Yeah. Thoughts are influenced by the fact that we've seen the rest of the series. You appreciate all the Mm -hmm. characters. You have an understanding of how the story arc is going to go. Whereas when you come into it cold and you're coming from, like you say, knowing that Atlantis has been cancelled and and that it's because they want to go in some new direction that's gritty and so on. And then you've got the once a week thing. It can be, yeah, it could be a bit of a drag. But Weirdly enough, I've actually altered the way I watch it in a different way. There's several shows on Netflix that I'm watching with friends that I see maybe once every week or fortnight. So we might watch two or three episodes and then I won't watch it without them. The likes of Iron Fist, which I thought was silly, so I was burning through it. And then I started to enjoy it, so I've slowed down. I could binge it, but I want to savour it. <laughs> That's kind of how I've been watching things with Laura. Like Stranger Things we're just going through. Although she's already burned mm. through it all. I'm finally getting around to watching that. And yeah, we're watching a few episodes once a week or so. And uh, back to back. And it's a good way to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I sort of mentioned earlier on, it is the more... It's the realism that's part of the story in Stargate Universe that I enjoyed. And for me, the way it's broadcast never affected me. I enjoyed it the first time through, very much so. Because with me, I'm one of these people who, it doesn't matter whether I watch something and then watch the next part of it in a couple of weeks' time, because I watch so much TV that I can watch like 10 minutes of a programme, and then a week later finish like another 20 minutes, and then go back and watch the rest of it three weeks later and then I'll watch like (laughs) three episodes of it or I'll start watching one program five minutes later I'll stop and watch another one with my wife and then my son will come in so I'll stop and watch something else with him and then I'll go back to another program that I'm watching then go back to the original one that I was watching (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) so for me whether or not it's weekly or binge watch it doesn't really make much difference to me personally and when it first came out I unlike a lot of Stargate fans that found the slowness to it the new way of how it got shot and everything else they just didn't like it and a lot of people they'd already made their mind up because of Atlantis but for me it had me from the get-go it didn't let me down 
Okay then, Ian. Are you about done? Yeah, I'm going to have to go in about five minutes, so... Do you want me to rattle through any poll questions? Um, I think there was the most disliked episode we haven't got to in the missed opportunity. Go on then, Ian. So my most disliked episode, I actually really struggled to come up with one because I didn't dislike any of the episodes. <laughs> the episode I least liked was Lost. There were a few saving graces. It had some development for Chloe where she, she showed you that she'd been teaching herself things while she was on Destiny, reading the symbols, and it had Greer. The best bit of it was showing Greer's uh, a little bit of backstory of Greer and his sort of, mm-hmm. the chink in his armor, as it were, the, the weaknesses he has, whereas he seemed sort of impervious before. But other than that, the episode itself, I don't think was very strong. It was, I think it was quite a bad episode, to be honest, in terms of, uh, compared to the rest of them. It was mistake after mistake after mistake by the crew of the Destiny. Yeah, Yeah. it was, you know, it was great. It gave you some time to look at the characters and it was probably written purely for that reason. Shove them in a contained area for a while and see what happens. It wasn't bad and I don't dislike it, but yeah, that would be my least liked one. For me, actually, mine isn't Cloverdale either. Mine is actually seizure. Oh right. Because you've got that whole thing with the Langarans and everything else. Yeah. Um, of course you've got the whole virtual reality world of Russia, though it was an interesting take and it took you a while to figure out what was going on and everything else. Again, it just seemed like another way to integrate a lot of old cast members. I still enjoyed it, but I think out of all of them, that was my least favourite out of all of them. I heard a female voice in the background. Sorry, I unmuted my microphone at the last second there. <laughs> <laughs> I had alliances and Cloverdale. I'm going for Cloverdale mainly because the whole Triffid plot for me didn't work. I liked the alternate reality bit. It was a, a fun, like you say, a fun look at the characters in different situations. It just felt a little too cheesy. Mm-hmm. Target Universe was never meant to be cheesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, like you say, I'd watch it again. <laughs> It wouldn't bother me if I sat down and watched it. I certainly, there isn't an episode of Stargate Universe I would skip on a rewatch. Agreed. Yeah. Same. Granted, there's only 40 episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but <laughs> So there's no need episode or emancipation? Funny enough, there are people out there that like those episodes. I mean, I'd rewatch Infection. Would you rewatch Ergo? No. <laughs> See, I love Ergo. I think that's I love episode. that. I love Ergo. <laughs> Somebody I has hate... to. I hated that episode. The, the only bit that I like Thank about you. it is, is when they actually sing the, the tune that is the oh. only part of that episode that redeems it even the little tiniest bit roll, i don't know roll, I, I, roll, i'm torn i'm torn between orgo and the episode with the weird white sentient plant things oh yeah you always come back to that one <laughs> yeah i do i think i picked need at the time uh, but what about in universe <laughs> um i don't have no i i don't think it's got a bad one good for you i'm irked by Gin dying. We all are. <laughs> so I, I, I suppose if there's an episode I like least, it's the one that Gin dies in because it... Yeah. I acknowledge that they're clearly manipulating my emotions. I'm sitting there thinking, you bastard. <laughs> and Eli's reaction to it is just brilliantly written as well. And and well performed. Cool. Um, do you want me to give you my missed opportunity? Because then I'm going to have to bail, I think. Yeah, go yeah. on then. Okay, so my missed opportunity... There were a few things I'd, I'd like to see developed. One of them was light at the end of Visitation. Remember when we recorded that episode? That was. I just want to know if there was a plan for that. If it was one of those things where they left open-ended just to say, oh, it's kind of religion-y thing, there's no explanation, and or something like that. Or if in season three we were going to find out something and it was going to tie it together. 
not knowing that is really bugging. <laughs> That's aside from the obvious one being the, the plot point of the, the message from the beginning of the universe that Rush is chasing after. I really mm. want to see that developed. Just want yep. to know what they had planned. That's one thing you know they would have addressed. Yeah, definitely. That was like the thing. There are you know elements of the story that have just been put to one side and you know they're never going to go back to. And there are those that you think it's so fundamental to the show, they've got to address it if there's going to be another season. Actually, on that light, your man wasn't dead. He was dead. You could see on the Kena recording, he was still moving. Ah, but that was before he was brought back. Ah, yeah, but then he was the brought light, back. The light comes on so. bright and everything fades. He said himself he's dead. He should know. Yeah, yeah, because he was. That was a flashback or a previous recording of what was before he arrived back on Destiny. So yeah, yeah, I think he died the moment the Kino moved away from him, mm-hmm. and whatever that light was, then sent him and all the others back, or the spirit, the soul, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, clone bodies. Yeah, to me that light was that words gone. The big monument. The obelisk. Obelisk, thank you. I think we already seen that it did beam out a thing of light into space. So whether or not that had other tech in it, which was able to transport and do more things with the ship and other things, that whether or not the aliens actually returned or whether or not they just sent a signal that activated technology and it was that which was just grabbing the ship and the people. Yeah, that could be it. I have to go and rewatch that now. <laughs> um, but right just before i go i'm going to say one other thing i really want to know mm-hmm. what is the purple fruit i think yeah. we can all guess but <laughs> it would be nice to know yeah it's got to be a certain size and shape yeah. for that joke to work mm-hmm. got to be i know mm-hmm. especially uh especially when you see the looks on their faces <laughs> okay then ian thanks for joining us not a problem at all it's been an absolute pleasure have a good evening bye yeah okay see you later good luck guys bye bye, yep. bye ian Bye. Cheers. Since we were on wasted, and uh, there's income. Since we were on wasted technology, I'm gonna go with two: one joke and one serious. Underused and not appreciated enough. Lamp. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was lamp? We could have had an entire episode exploring lamp. We could we could have had a completely complex backstory in which it was constructed for a specific purpose, or is part of the ship's AI, or it's doing something. And then at the end, it's sure they found a whole crate of them in one of the storage. Or after like 40 minutes, it goes back to Brody telling this is a story. <laughs> and it turns out to be completely fake. But honestly, waste technology, destiny. So much they didn't explore, so much they didn't look at. They could have had half a season where they never leave the bloody ship, you mm. know? They could have had an entire episode exploring parts of it or discovering things. Of finding, I mean, it's a massive ship, and they could have done so much more with it than they had an opportunity to do. Especially after the Lucian Alliance came and Eli got to the other part of the ship as well. Mm -hmm. So that opened up a huge part of the ship that they hadn't been in. It would have been worthwhile going around just pushing on any buttons in any combination to see where it took you. Mm -hmm. Basically, what Eli did, he was panicking, he just hit the controls and where are we? <laughs> Looked out the window. Oh, not been here before. Oh, there's a terminal here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went for the uh, the obelisk and the aliens or whatever you want to call them. That, when we first saw it, you know, a huge structure on a planet that was not meant to be there, shouldn't be there, couldn't be there, but it was. Uh, Faith gave us hints of what was going on without actually telling us anything at all. I think they underline the fact that whatever TJ experienced wasn't 
real for a given amount of real. I know it. They left it so far up in the air. The thing is, with those episodes, I did start to think that maybe what happened with TJ was to do with one of the ancients because what, her baby ascended. No, no, no. It's just we know they have a lot of abilities, and we know that, of course, destiny is trying to fulfill the ancient's original plan to find out what that was all about. So maybe there was someone who they knew she had unanswered questions and things like that, gave her the ability to experience what could have been. Yeah, that was the only thing that I could think of, which sort of married everything together. <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty. If it, if it works for you, that's fine. Thomas? Mine would be the creators of the drones. Oh, yes. Because you always see the drones, the drones, the drones, but you never find out who created the drones. What if perhaps it was the 2,000 years worth of the descendants of the Destiny crew that created the drones? You know, who created the drones and what happened to them? If they'd found a few planets along the way that obviously had been devastated by wars, you know, never actually finding any information. They're just, you know, gated to it. Nothing here. Let's go. Obviously some, because it, Okay, you could argue that they were moving into the territory of the drones. There must be a limit to how far the drones moved from their homeworld. Mm-hmm. Perhaps if they'd have done a little bit more build-up, finding traces of something happened in this part of the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. This is what I mean, a missed opportunity. The drones certainly are, especially when you know, they took a left turn and just left the galaxy. Bye-bye. Yeah. They'd made them so unbeatable that they had to go. There's no way Destiny could fight their way through. They had plotted out how many command ships with drones, you know, blocking all the all the suns that they could recharge at. So they were facing unsurmountable odds. There was no way they could have won. So yeah, one of the things I was, I did like about the drones and the what made them formidable was the fact that it was just the numbers. It wasn't the level of technology which it usually is. It's just how many there were. They could easily defeat the actual drones themselves. And if they, at a push, they could do the command ship. But it was just the fact there were so many of them, which meant that they couldn't keep doing it, which was also very different because usually, especially with Stargate, it's usually it's just the fact that these people are overpowered. In some respects, it made me think of the Wraith because that's how the Ancients lost. So it, it sort of brought in that part of the story of sort of how the Ancients were sort of bettered by the Wraith. A war of attrition. Mm. So I did like the fact that they didn't make them over-the-top powerful sort of thing. So I thought that was um, a good thing. Um, but yeah, knowing the Origins would have been good. We sort of found that they'd been around quite a bit in the final episodes when, of course, they picked up the newspaper and that. If they'd wanted to kind of expand upon the drones, they could have had each step in the command structure being that more advanced you had the, the drones, you had the command ships, some sort of intelligence above that, open a line of communication, you know, mm-hmm. not shoot first. If anything, from a tactical point of view, learn about the enemy. So open some sort of dialogue with destiny. With this sort of enemy, there is no one to negotiate with. So I suppose in some respects, it's understandable why they never even bothered to do that, because no one was there to do anything about it. And even if they knew the origins, it wouldn't have made a bit of difference. In this case, they were just a plot line that pushed them forward to sort of skip to the next galaxy. 
and to sort of push each of the episodes forward, having to keep them moving and to give them these challenges that they've got to try and get around. One of the reasons they were tracked was because of gate travel. So it's just like, okay, well, you're on a ship that doesn't really stop. So mm-hmm. <laughs> how the hell do you sort of move on from that? They served their purpose. So I can understand why we wouldn't have seen it. But yeah, it would have been nice just out of curiosity. Yep. Right, and then that's most of what we've done. We'll loop back. So we'll get Steve's responses to the opening questions. Let's see, where should we start then? Favourite regular character, Steve? David Blue as Eli Wallace. You're the only one that's picked Eli. Really? I was tossed between Eli and Raj. Ah, but you didn't. You picked Raj. <laughs> I picked Raj first. <laughs> but just the fact that he was so innocent. The way he just questioned everything, he was just a pure geek. So of all these sci-fi references, it's just like, love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, just like, yeah, had to be math boy. Just the little jokes of the little Star Wars comments when it came to the ice planet and, <laughs> and especially his introduction. Classic sort of O'Neill, I'll beam you up to our ship. <laughs> Can I get some pants? It also helped the fact that David Blue himself was a huge Stargate fan. Oh, yeah. He was the go-to guy amongst the cast if they wanted any questions about the show. <laughs> just the fact, pure geek, and it's just like... Yeah, that's the sort of person that I would just like to hang around with and get on with. So, yeah, I identified with him more than any other cast member. Favourite recurring character? That would have to be Gin. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, well, that was Alan's pick mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, but mine's for different reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> really? Go on, come on then. <laughs> she was so different, especially from a lot of the other Lucian Alliance um cast members and it was just the fact that whereas a lot of people for the Lucian Alliance is all just muscle so it's good to have another intelligent character around especially when it became conversations and discussions with Eli and Gin. For me they were just very interesting and fun to watch so yeah it's always good to have her back in and even after she died and she was part of the ship she was always looking to do the right thing and to help out. It's just a nice, friendly character that was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, the the very fact that it was her and Eli that came up with the idea that they could take Eli into the AI as well. She actually prevented it, saying it was too dangerous. Amanda was the one that actually jumped at the chance. Mm. Probably imagine that Gin, in the months leading up to the attack on Destiny, probably felt as much out of place amongst that military unit as Eli did. Yeah. On and I think that's what made the two of them work so well, especially the scenes between the two of them. They were usually my favourite ones. When she was watching Eli's journal. <laughs> that was heartbreaking, that was. You know, she's seeing the side of Eli that he doesn't really let anybody see. Yeah. Then again, she also cold-bloodedly murdered Danny. Oh, that's fine. He's loose lines, but he's evil. <laughs> That's the first time Eli actually laid eyes on it. Yeah, but the thing is, that's completely understandable. And especially as this bloke was someone who probably abused her in some way, whether it's just probably beating her because she hadn't done something, because he just came across as that sort of character. Her life and everybody else's life depended on him dying. So, yeah. I went for Varro, Lucian Alliance, you know, favourite recurring character. They actually did some good work. Simeon could easily have become a, a favourite character. It was up to sociopathic. <laughs> I you agree. Know, 
Besides, he, he killed he killed Gin. That was not a figure play. <laughs> well, technically, he killed Amanda. But... <laughs> he killed both Gin and Amanda. He's a double. He he got a two for. <laughs> this has been a good day for Simeon. <laughs> Whenever I saw Simeon, I still just expected him to have a false hand and keep putting his fingers in his mouth. <laughs> Call back to prison break, but. If you ever walk down the corridor with his hanky out his pocket, pocket or something like that, or his pocket lining out, mm-hmm. that's probably cracked up. <laughs> I went with the dynamic duo of Brody and Volk. The pair of them together, when it clicked and the writers realised what they had and started writing for them, they really shone. They're almost the sort of Lauren Hardy of the science people. <laughs> the flashlight gag. I mean, it was stupid. It was ridiculous. But every time he did it, I laughed. I remember the episode where they were trying to repair the shields and the panel kept sparking and they kept jumping. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your actors, there's going to be a little bit of spark. Nothing to worry about. And then to your props guy, big spark, big spark. <laughs> right then, Steve, your favourite guest character? Jack O'Neill in Air Part 1, especially when he was talking to Eli. That beginning cracks me up i love it every time just that whole interaction it was perfect it was just through jack o'neill it really was <laughs> you picked jack didn't you alan i did yeah richard dean anderson in anything anything stargate you're gonna cheer on his appearances in atlantis was fantastic and his limited appearances in universe it was great to see him. yeah because he was in air part one and three uh subversion there's another oh. one my reason, Steve, for picking Jack was basically him bawling out young. <laughs> Jack acting as a general, not as our happy-go-lucky, incredibly facetious guy. Jack <laughs> yeah. actually, mm-hmm. you know, exercising his power and going, I am your commanding officer, get your arse in gear. I just love the bit where he goes, yeah, do you think we were ready when we started going through the gate? <laughs> <laughs> right. Steve, when you first started watching Universe then, first run? Yeah, first run was when it was first on um, UK TV. Sort of, as I said, it didn't bother me that it was week to week. The only thing that did bother me during the first run was when the final episode of Series 1 they had two weeks later, which was just like, come on, why not just have a double episode before the American holiday? It was just like, you complain that ratings are down and it's just like idiots. I enjoyed Battlestar Galactica and I like things that are dark and sort of mysterious. So to have this in Stargate, I was looking forward to. The amount of time and money they put into the sets, into the visuals, they Mm -hmm. threw more money into this than they had in any of the other Stargates and it showed. And the new way that they'd done all the shooting, all the camera work, um, the interactions with the crew, it just made it so much more real and down to earth although yes they're in space put that sort of reality into science fiction and it really worked well can't disagree with anything you said there the final segment of the show alan got in touch with scott the two founders of the gaycast and had a chat about stargate universe a sad day for me not as sad as the day we actually recorded the last episode but this is pretty much it and i thought appropriately we should bookend the show with the person who started the whole thing off with me good evening scott hey how's it going (laughs) and then five seconds of dead air i think that typifies what the last uh, as mike has pointed out eight years (laughs) yeah 
so long this thing's been going. But this is a separate recording from next Thursdays. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the idea of this thing is similar to other series wrap-ups that we've done. We have a set of ten questions. You give me eight. Okay, eight apparently. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> I don't need Mike to embarrass me, I've got you. It happens. The pre-Mike. I was more like an alpha. I'll be discussing my own choices for this at the roundtable recording, which we've decided to actually push Skype, and I think we've got five people on. Nice. Well, that's not going to go horribly wrong, is it? Let's kick off. So, of the entire SGU series, favorite episode and why? Yeah, it took a little while, but I had to find one, and then I had to rewatch it because it's been a little while. But Blockade is actually the second to last episode, because that one, to me, was kind of interesting, because they went to that city that was obviously done by humans, it looked like it was like the start of something that could have kept going for a while. I just thought it was so interesting seeing things that were so familiar yet a little bit off because the spellings on some of the things were kind of interesting. And, uh, I mean, the overall story of the episode is pretty good, too. But I just thought it was the whole idea behind the episode was kind of interesting. Okay. So, Blockade, yeah, that was the continuation of the one where they find. Now, you honestly thought that Twin Destinies. Nothing further happened. Yeah. Should we move swiftly on? We could. To favorite regular character? Because I know what my choice for that would be. Are you going to go with the easy one, or are you going to go with one that most people wouldn't expect you to go for? Well, I mean, everyone would expect Eli or something, because he's just, you know, like a normal person. But I actually kind of like Rush, because I don't know if it's the character or the actor, but he seems to he seems to always play characters that pretty good gray areas where you kind of think he might be doing something good for people but he's really doing something for himself and it's kind of i just kind of like that idea okay so you're going with rush i imagine rush will be popular yeah a lot of time for robert carlyle what surprised me when i saw on the subject of rush on the actor when i saw him in transporting too how short he actually is i never realized that yeah okay now this is a trickier one because Given the ensemble nature of Universe, favorite recurring character? I really didn't have any, especially on that on that kind of a show where everyone's just there. There's only one reoccurring character that uh, I could think of off the top of my head, and I was not a big fan of his. Hmm? Uh, Telford. I just did not like that character, and he's the only reoccurring character I can think of. I don't think you're supposed to. Yeah. He's, he's not especially likable. Oh, yeah. He's got a very clear agenda, even if the agenda wasn't his agenda. I've got a list here of some other characters, but none of them really stand out to me as being, you know, they didn't stick with me. So basically, you're going to take the Worldcon approach and go with no category. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay, now, guest character, we've defined this fairly sharply. It's usually somebody that appears once. Yeah. I would have gone with someone from one of the original shows, because there were a couple of them, but I was actually going to go with Woolsey, because uh, if I remember right, he only showed up once or twice. Mm-hmm. And I always liked that character. He was always interesting, so, you know. Okay. Least favorite episode? I didn't care for the last episode, even though it had some really good moments. But, really? Uh, yeah, the only reason why I didn't like it is it was the last one. It just kind of annoyed me, because 
it left on a cliffhanger and you just don't know where well, it's going after that. Uh, this is quite fresh in my mind because I watched it the day before yesterday. Well, yeah. And as Mike said at the time, you could argue that it might have been a cliffhanger, but it was still a conclusion. It wasn't like a typical end of season cliffhanger. Well, yeah. Something which could have gone either way. It wasn't an ending, but it was a conclusion. Yeah, you're right about that. I guess I just didn't like it because I wanted more. And every time I every time I see that episode, it kind of annoys me because I felt there was a lot more to the story. Fair enough. So Gauntlet is your least favorite episode. Yeah, and it's not because of the story or anything. It's just how it left me feeling at the end, you know? Okay. Most disliked character. I just don't care about Scott. To me, he just feels like a cookie cutter. He does have some of his moments, but there's really nothing about him that endears him to me. There's just, I mean, he, I could take him or leave him on that, you know? Isn't he a, a square-jawed all-American hero? Kind of feels like a cookie cutter. Mass-produced type soldier character. As opposed to, say, Greer. Well, yeah. <laughs> Greer is interesting. Yeah. Put Scott in, for example, the episode where he gets infected with the plant thing. There are definitely some good stories that he has, but overall as a character, there's just not... It really gets it for me. Okay. Interesting choice. Can't imagine it's going to be a terribly popular choice. I don't go with the popular <laughs> stuff. I just go with what I like or don't like, you know? <laughs> okay. So missed opportunity, character or plot? Something that you felt they could have done more with? I don't know. The way that it felt like the show was going, they were kind of building up their ancestors, or their, their descendants, sorry, to such a way that it almost seemed like they were kind of going, turns out humans were actually the precursors to the ancients or, you know, something else like that. Kind of interesting the way it kind of felt like it was going. I just wish that they could have had more episodes maybe to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, we've said that repeatedly as we've gone through the season. You know, if we'd had another three or four seasons, we could have done X or Y <laughs> or Z or entire Greek alphabets of possible stories. I think it was definitely a, a very big missed opportunity. Once they had some control over the ship, I thought it would be kind of nice for them to start charting their own path. That could have opened up some interestingness, too. And best piece of technology? The best piece of technology I really, at the time, I really enjoyed, but now we have them kind of all over everywhere, and that's the Kino. I mean, who wouldn't want a little camera drone following them around? We have those now, but... Yeah, and you realize quite a few people don't want a little camera drone following them around. <laughs> It's an interesting piece of technology, and that's kind of what I like from it. The only other thing that I liked, I thought was kind of interesting, was the, the device that they could activate the gates. Yeah. I thought Kino was better. I'm convinced that was a PSP. Well. Yeah, the actual prop looked like a PlayStation Portable with, with some extra bits that they just tacked onto it. Either that or maybe they had a pre-model, uh, a Wii U controller. Any closing thoughts on both Universe and, indeed, Gatecast in its current form? You were here at the birth. You are almost here at the death. Yeah, I was. I just hope maybe they they continue some stories for uh, Universe, continue the, the plot line, because you were saying that uh, Dark Horse was going to do some comics, so that'll be fun. may not be Dark Horse. As for the Gatecast itself, I mean, there's still the uh, the big finished audio dramas and the books and stuff. Don't say that to Mike. <laughs> Mike is done. This is a I man know. that posts every single day about Stargate birthdays. Yeah, I see that. This is a guy that has to leave for work at like 6.15am, and he still finds time to do this, and edit the episodes, and get them out, and I should really listen to them. I wonder if he knew what he was getting into. 
uh, I will honestly say he volunteered. Yeah, I honestly don't know if he, uh... <laughs> he thought he'd still be doing about it. About work, yeah. In 2017? Yeah. I'd imagine not. Okay then, folks, that was the Stargate Universe wrap-up show. That was the Gatecast. Thomas, you've been with us a long, long time. Indeed. <laughs> Have I finally made it to the best guest character to a recurring or a actual full-fledged guest or something? I probably should do a count of, you know, how many appearances everybody has made. I don't think anyone's beaten Brad. <laughs> Gonna be Brad. There was a point where, for a given season, for a little while, there were more episodes with Brad on them than me. <laughs> hey, look, you've been there when we've needed you. That's all, all we can uh, hope for from any I other guests. I bloody countries. <laughs> I'm staying. I mean, for pity's sake, I'm getting cats. Well, now you're staying in one place and that you're settled, maybe we should just start it all again. <laughs> Mike's Mike, going, run away. No! Mike, run away. <laughs> Actually, Steve, funny you should mention that. How many podcasts do you do at present? A couple. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say you'd watched about two seasons of B5? Yeah, I've just been watching Battlestar Galactica in the last week and a half, so I've got through seasons one and two. Um, that was not, after not, I finished watching all of Star Trek. Not Babylon 5, then. Or DS9, which is Babylon 5 Lite. <laughs> but yeah, I'd already watched all of DS9. Um, before doing starting the Babylon 5 watch, I spent eight months where I watched all 726 episodes of Star Trek and all 13 films. And that was on top of all the other... Also in that time, rewatched all of Stargate Universe um, for doing these podcasts and lots of other shows. So would you be interested in doing this for me with Babylon 5? Uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> Nobody's ever said yes before. He doesn't yeah, know how to handle it. That was seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure we could get you on as a guest, Thomas. Uh, I could do that. Wouldn't have to twist my arm too hard. Indeed. Right, Steve. You joined us a little later on into our run. I can't remember when. I I'm just probably should look these up. Well, I started listening through the late part of Atlantis, and I joined you for Air, I think, was the first one. Oh, that late? Yeah, because I, I only joined you for Universe, because talking through Twitter, and you said, would you like to join us? Yeah. <laughs> so did you go back and listen to the original SG-1 all the way from the beginning, all the way through like I did whenever I started? No, I am, I'm behind on listening to my podcast at the moment. I currently have... 130 odd podcasts that I'm still to listen to over the last couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> How many podcasts a week do you listen to, Mike? Uh, I probably do 89 episodes a day, so it adds up. Even then, I've still got podcasts on my iTunes list that have got four or five episodes backed up. Right then, Steve, you want to give a quick rundown of uh, your various podcasts you guest on or host? My main podcast, which is a weekly Star Trek podcast, is Dribbles and Exe, that you can find over at holosuitemedia.com. Um, I also appear on um, Frack Stars. I also help out with the G&T show, and I also help out with Priority One podcast. They're the main ones. <laughs> <laughs> and coming up, Babylon 5. You said yes, you can't back it there. <laughs> You're not on Facebook, are you, Steve? I am. Oh, you are? Do I have you? Yes. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Let's wrap all this up. Thomas, Steve, thank you very much for joining us for however long it's been. Pleasure. It's 
it's been quite a while and it has been a pleasure yes sir it has indeed I yeah everything ends sometimes it's the beginning of something new all good things as the last episode was titled of dng you are always welcome and so it begins <laughs> that's all folks Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this podcast. Who knows what the future will hold? I do. Sure, up at this point. <laughs> I'm sure we'll post a few more things on Twitter and on the various social media, uh, deciding exactly the status of uh, the Gatecast and how it's going to be archived. Uh, obviously, when uh, Alan finally launches his new podcast, that will be done in a blaze of glory. Oh. Uh, make sure everybody... <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll show up now before alan loses it it is getting late for him it's six minutes back. i would say until next time but there isn't a next time so everybody take care thank you for listening and i've been mike i've been desperately looking for something to do on the wednesday evening and <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been thomas and i've been steve take care everybody bye-bye bye-bye bye farewell <laughs>